You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, and W Wheels. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, but with us on the line, we've got Frenchie from C4MX. Frenchie, how's it going? I'm doing good. Just out in California, it's nice and warm, and uh, getting ready for a El Nino winter. It's supposed to be raining all winter long, but no, it's nice and uh, nice and cold, uh, nice and uh, warm down here. No doubt, a complete change from the minus 7 degrees Celsius that we're dealing uh, with up here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, for those American listeners, that's somewhere near the uh, 20 degrees outside. Not so great uh, for motocross, but uh, I thought I'd warm myself up by calling a guy who um, produces some pretty hot engines. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on, and of course, uh, we, we referred you as Frenchie from C4MX.com, but uh, you're, of course, uh, Luke Cowitt out of uh, Quebec, Canada, and now living down in Valencia, California. Big switch for you, east coast over to west coast, and uh, a little bit of change of climate, yes, no? Oh, yeah, I went from north to south also, so that, that was north good. There's no way I'll go back to freaking winter and snow. There's no way. No, I'm, I mean, I'm stuck down here now. I mean, I'm I'm staying in the warm weather for sure. Perfect. It's uh, it's motocross 24/7 365 over at c4mx.com uh and uh, and that's where you reside right now. You're at the shop uh waiting on customers, UPS, FedEx, whoever happens to drop by to uh get the wheels rolling. Uh but uh, tell us a little bit about what you've gotten on uh, what's on your plate lately and uh who you're working with, what you're working on. Lately, it's, uh, I mean, the last, let's say the last five years, it's been mainly uh, uh, Monster Energy Kawasaki in Canada. Okay. Uh, we had I mean, Metcalf and Gerke and Paul Telly, Teddy Mayer, I mean, all these uh, guys over there. So I've been dealing with them since 2009 and uh, coming up there every weekend during the summer, uh, helping the team out. And um, So that's been my main focus for Canada lately. Uh, down here, when I, I was there, I have my own business, so uh, I have amateur kids. Some pros, uh, some pro teams, but it's mainly like I would say 75% is uh, amateur kids, B rider, A riders, and uh, around the, the whole United States. So, uh, I mean, I just started my business in 2009, so that's when I started C4MX. And the first yeah. couple of years were a little rough, obviously, because I had to get my name out there. But then, like every year after that, it's been kind of growing. Like, I mean, somebody tries somebody else's bike and say, "Oh, dude, who did this?" and then. I get a lot more customers that way, right? It's all word to mouth. Everything's word to mouth. Absolutely, and word travels fast in motocross. I would only imagine since 2009, uh, the wheels have started to gain some momentum, and uh, and, and no doubt you've got some engines uh, about to take flight at uh, the Minios this weekend. Yeah, I have a couple guys down at, um, they stay at the MTF facility, the Millsap training facility. Okay. Um, I have a few guys out there, and then... Uh, uh, he's racing the A class. He's actually going to be pretty high potential in the A class, and um, yeah, I guess kind of keep myself busy for sure. That's good. That's excellent. And uh, for anyone who's looking f- uh, to uh, to contact you about uh, doing some engine work, uh, before we get a, a, another moment further into that, how do they contact you? How would they get in contact with you to make sure that their uh, their two stroke, four stroke, or uh, or anything like that is uh, is operating at top potential? Uh, my email is the easiest way. I mean, uh, just go on my website, c4mix.com. My email is on there. Uh, phone number is on there, too. So, I mean, I'm pretty okay. easy to contact. So, I'm pretty easy going. So. Easy to contact. If you want to call the shop, of course, it is uh, 661-998-6727. And uh, that's any time between 8.30 a.m., on the Pacific Standard Time and uh, all the way up to uh, 5 p.m. Uh, long hours and uh, lots of time uh, at, at the workbench. Um, 
where did this all start for you? Um, it's it's common that uh, a lot most people will tell me that uh, their their dad made them work on their bikes growing up. Uh, where does that story start for you as far as uh, wrenching and and, and uh, honing a little bit of a craft? Yeah, well, the beginning. Um, my dad was a um, body shop guy. Uh, I'm okay. from a little village in Quebec City, like two hours north of Quebec City, little tiny village, 400 people. Um, people don't get out of their house. I mean, it's free. Everybody knows each other. Right. So I was like, there, there was like, I mean, 12 kids in the town, right? So I go to high school. Uh, I was like 16 years old at the time. Um, uh, I go to high school about 10 minutes away. And, um, so I had, a my mom bought me a, uh, RM80, uh, 1986 RM80 beat up. So I just wanted to ride with my friend because I had one of my friends in, in my little town there that was riding, he was racing. His dad was taking him to the race. And um, so my mom bought me an 85, just so I can, uh, an 80 back then, actually, so I can ride with him at the track. And uh, so I kind of made my way up like this. And I was five foot six at the time. I was 16 years old, so I needed a bigger bike. So I got an old CR125 beat up, like, like beat. And then, uh, but I was, I was, I was liking it. I mean, yeah. I was working on that thing all the time. And then, um, so I started riding like this. And then that's how I got into motocross and got magazines and looking at magazines and. I was always hoping, like one day, maybe I'll make my way down there and be a bigger part of it. And it, it was kind of a dream back then, but it kind of came reality at the time. So, so a dream come true, spawning all the way back uh, in the the early '90s, riding a, uh, a pretty clapped out uh, CR, but uh, a bike like Dude, that. Also, out. Uh, when I say clapped out, it's like the gears were broken. I didn't, yeah. didn't have no money, right? So the shock yeah. was blown out for about a year. I ran with no oil in my shock for about a year. Then training gear were broken, so I just split the motor. A couple of teats were gone on the training on the, one of the gears, so I just put the gear on the grinder, got all the teats out in case they keep breaking, put it back together. I just had two gears in it. I'm like, come on, this. I rode the crap out of that thing, and no it was fun. I mean, I was a kid back then, right? So it was pretty fun. Two gears on a 125 uh, on a bike that you're usually in the wrong gear anyway. Uh, yeah. that's, that's not easy, man. <laughs> No, it was it was fun. I mean, we were all kids, so it was it was pretty cool. For sure. So, I mean, who, uh, linkage bearing were all so clapped out. Linkage bearing was so like they were gone, so we ended up making sleeves out of freaking plastics, and then putting sleeves in there instead of bearing. Dude, it was we we uh, we Jerry rigged some stuff for sure. I'll tell you that. But then it, I mean, it was fun. We we're all kids, right? Oh, absolutely! Like so, uh, you said you're like from a small village, but as far as Quebec goes, uh, most would know that uh, it's a historic area with many small villages. Um, um, who are some of the closest riders to you that uh, you looked up to racing, and uh, who who of them uh, turned out to be some major players in uh, in Canadian motocross? Because uh, we know Quebec has always produced a lot of fast riders, Valencourts or Dubays, your Simon Homans of the world. Um, who who are some of those riders? Um, the closest one to me was actually Marco Dubé. He was uh, 45 minutes away from my house, another little village close to Rivier de Lou there. Um, just before that, uh, same age as Marco, actually. His name was Alexandre Zion, some um, okay. amateur guy going up. He was number 21 in Suzuki. He was going to be the next big thing, right, in Canada. And then his dad kind of shut everything down uh, when he was about to turn pro, and that was it. Never heard back from him. And wow, then, uh, Marco, Marco kept going. And uh, that was about it. I mean, closest to me, that was like the kind of the only guy. Uh, Vaillancourt was closer to Montreal, obviously. But that was in that time. I mean, between uh, Arnaud Bernard and Vaillancourt and Lange and Langevin, uh, a bunch of these guys are all c- close to Montreal. But Dubé was like the closest one to me, closer in, uh, in along the river there. Mm-hmm. So are you, uh, you were more south along the river, uh, closer to Ottawa? No, actually up. Oh. You go the other way. Okay, so you got Montreal, Quebec City, and you keep going up the river on the Fair south enough. coast. So, oh, um, so you're, you're, you're the way up there. You you literally like when you said you went north to south. Uh, that is, uh, that's um, that's yeah. way up there north. That's cold. <laughs> that's miserable, uh, and that's very French. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, getting into a sport of motocross. Um, like, did you have to translate these magazines a little bit for yourself? Because uh, reading these magazines as a francophone would not be easy. No, and at the time, dude, I didn't speak English. I mean, I, not at all. I mean, we learn English at school a little bit, but it's like table, desk, and pen, and paper, and that's yeah, about it. Yeah, the same it, way right? I learned French. 
Yes, <laughs> and then the verbs, and they teach you the verbs, but once you don't, you don't practice it, so you don't get to use it, you don't get to learn it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I was looking at magazines, mainly having pictures and looking at prices and stuff, and making parts lists of what I would like to get on my bike. And I mean, <laughs> those are real kids, right? Yeah, so I remember doing that. But then uh, when I first really learned English is when I actually hop up and left in 1998 uh, after college. I was done with college. And then, um, then I went up to Vermont and worked for Chad Shepard. He's a pro rider out there in the United States. And he, at the time, he was racing the outdoors, and he did a mechanic. And I went out there and helped him. There and at go. the beginning, I didn't speak much English, but then I kind of picked up from there. And then I went to in Ontario, and I worked for Tugo Kawasaki. And then um, that's when I kind of started the whole um, uh, pro level. Uh, it was a Tugo Kawasaki. Well, you you jumped into uh, the uh, the pro ranks as a mechanic with both feet, of course, with uh, with a guy like Marco Dubé needing some help in uh, in Quebec, and then immediately took you south. Uh, tell us a little bit about your first few events as uh, as a wrench, um, fresh faced yeah, well, kid, probably still in high school at the time. Yeah, well, finishing it was nineteen ninety ninety five was actually my first year in college, okay. and then. Um, then Dubé needed help. Uh, that's the first time I need. I, I went w- to work with Marco. He needed help to go to an arena cross in uh, Quebec City, there close to Quebec City, and then uh, helped him out, changed the filter, washed the bike, whatever. And then uh, later that year, he said, "Do you want to come to Florida?" So I went, well, "Let's go to Florida." Went out there for a couple weeks. It was spring break, right? So uh, at the time in March, it was Gainesville, Florida, and uh, Daytona Supercross. So I went out and did that with him. Um, he had a crash, I think, at Daytona, so he didn't qualify for that one. But Gainesville, he ended up qualifying, um, and that was my biggest thing. I mean, I, I mean, I come from freaking Arena Cross in Quebec City, straight down to freaking Gainesville, Florida, with McGrath and Doug Henry and freaking Wells was out there. I mean, Eric Keogh, I think, was on the gate. Anyway, it was pretty cool. And I was like, the coster was walking next to me. He's like, dude, these guys, I see these guys in magazines, right? So I'm like, little kid in a candy store. No kidding. So that yeah. was that was one of my biggest. He qualified. I think he got twentieth, one of the moto, and maybe twenty second or so the next moto, on the two fifty two strokes. So it was pretty cool. It was it was fun. Well, of course, this is uh, all two strokes all the time back in uh, yeah. 1995. Uh, four strokes were uh, just on the horizon. The four-stroke nationals were uh, making thunder across uh, the, the states. And, of course, uh, in, the, on, in the GPs, four-stroke had, uh, four strokes had kind of replaced the, uh, the 500cc bikes. And um, so you, you're right. They're all two strokes. And, uh, and Marco goes, uh, I believe, if I had to bring those up, yeah, he's just, uh, just inside and then just outside the top 20. For his moto scores, uh, pretty cool to probably be standing with uh, some of the the great mechanics of that time uh, in the paddock and also in uh, along pit lane there. Um, yep. And of course, uh, you're a, you're a young kid, and uh, for the most part, starstruck. Yep, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember. I think I remember walking down that pit lane there. All the box vans were parked because they didn't have semis, but I think it was box vans. And all the Honda box van, the Suzuki box van, and I think there was. Um, there was Mike Kodorsky, got a poster from him, and I was like, dude, I was like, all these guys are like stars, right? So I was like yeah. kind of pumped. That was pretty cool. Yeah, you're... Uh, you, That's why every time I'm at the race now, I mean, I see the little kids, I mean, I always kind of, I try to give them goggles and try to have plastics, and I always keep a bunch of those plastics in the cabinets, and when I see kids, they just give them plastics and stuff. They like it, right? For sure, absolutely. That's uh, like it, it's cool to be able to reconnect with that now, and that you've kind of risen to uh, uh, the supreme level to uh, remember what it was like to uh, to be that little kid hoping to get a poster or a plastic or, or something like that. I think uh, um, I, I got a, a plastic uh, a number plate off of uh, Mitch Cook's. Uh, RMZ 450 after that big mud race here in Manitoba in 2007, and uh, I, I held on to that thing. And uh, yeah, it's 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 really cool to be able to uh, like as a as a mechanic now, having risen to where you're at, be able to still give back, and uh, and and that's an important thing. I think I remember at Gainesville, I was um, the yeah, the Honda of choice on my other time was there. Mike Brown, Mike Craig was on there. Yep. And then I walked up to the front, and then it was right after a moto, a little kid, right? Hey, can I get you goggles? I was like, I didn't speak English. I was like, goggle, please, goggle. And then, uh, and then uh, I think it was Mike Craig or Mike Brown gave me his uh, Oakley, red Oakleys. Where I'd never seen those red ones before because in Canada we only have the black ones. Yeah. Then Dubé was actually sponsored by Oakley at the time. So I had <laughs> some pretty badass, like, 
Red Oakleys, and then we had, we ended up going to an arena cross, and Dubai grabbed them, and did a, a jump contest at the, some arena cross in Quebec, and then I freaking gave them away. I was like, dude, really? And I was like, those are my freaking Mike Brown goggles, right? <laughs> you so, just threw away my Mike Brown goggles. Them in the freaking stands. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what kind of what kind of tricks could Marco Dubé do? I don't think I've ever seen Marco uh, throw out the tricks. Uh, he was whipping it, dude. Badass whips, like sideways, like you wouldn't believe. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, that was all, I mean, the guy that whips it the most, I mean, obviously would win. Okay. Uh, at the time, we had Mike Jones was coming to do those arena cross, Rich yeah. Taylor. Mike Jones was always doing this kiss of death thing. And then, uh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty cool. But then uh, he won a few, uh, Dubé won a few, um, uh, jump contest from doing whips like like upside down whips. Really? Yeah. So, uh, what, what, at this point, like, uh, are you are you riding a whole lot at at this point? Like, are you only wrenching? Really. Uh, and uh, had you replaced the uh, the the eighty uh, the eighty four CR? No, no, no. It's uh, that thing died. <laughs> I mean, uh, it just it, it it died. I sold it for fifteen bucks. The guy wanted just the front end off of it. So I I got my fifteen bucks. He picked up the bike and freaking see ya. And then uh, after that, I never bought a bike after that. Until wow, okay, I came to California. Yeah. Until now, you live in California, and uh, you you ride uh, four strokes now. Am I correct? No, actually, well, I did. I had a little two fifty F Honda for a while, okay. and then uh, I kind of get like the little bite again on two stroke. So I uh, went on Craigslist and found an old five hundred, and I just uh, and uh, I rebuilt it all. Like I stripped it down, freaking rebuild that thing up to the brand new looking. Right, it looks just like McGrath's bike in '96, like with the yeah. one eight hundred color graphics. Yeah. So I got myself a CR five hundred. Never rolled one before, until like last year when I got it all finished up and took it to the desert, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. Those things open up and they don't stop. Like they they don't that yeah, doesn't crazy. stop opening up. It they're they're it's, absolutely wild. <laughs> it's dangerous. I mean, it's fun. It's kind of like you're in a video game. You know, when you grab the best, you know, on the ATV Fury, you grab mm-hmm. like the best squad out there, like the yeah. six thousand or whatever. It's yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah. You can jump everything with second gear and just rock and you yeah. freaking oh, jump yeah. like. 70 feet it's crazy so how did this work that you ended up uh starting with the the two-wheel kawasaki uh uh team that uh obviously uh, had a lot of great riders including uh guys like josh woods and uh and even um that's sean hamblin and josh that one year that was our two main guys that's Ray right morgan yeah. was a little bit before that um but I was up in Canada. I was done with school in in, uh, in Quebec there. And then I called Ron Ashley if he wouldn't need help. And he said, yeah, because obviously they're a dealership, right? Right. So, and Ron's got this pro-action suspension thing in the back. Course, so yeah. I went out there during the winter. And then I helped him out with suspension. Uh, he needed help, so at the shop. So I was working at the shop and taking care of mainly the race team stuff. And then uh, I raced the whole season with them. And at the end of the season, that's when that, – I mean, that was mainly where I learned English. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was – I learned it in the shop, so I mean there was some bad words, but I mean <laughs> I kind of <laughs> tried to fix that over the years. But uh, it was pretty cool. I mean Tony was back there was a pretty good uh, help. He was a older mechanic that knew a lot of stuff, so um, that was pretty cool to be there and learn from him. And uh, so it was. And then we had Sean Hamblin at the time. Yeah, Sean Hamblin, Josh Woods, and Mitch Cook. And, That's right. Uh, actually, uh, I remember uh, I remember Hamlin being at Grunthal, and uh, I believe that was the year he ra- he ran the number one on the uh, for the one t- for to, he was yep. defending his one twenty five title. And, and I uh, found those pictures this year, and I brought them to Canada because Sean was there one weekend, and I brought those okay. pictures up, and that was yeah, my full on race bike number one. It was pretty cool. I brought those, and he was like, "Yeah, dude, look how young we look." <laughs> No kidding, and I actually I remember asking him for a jersey, and uh, someone had just dropped off a brand new jersey for him, like still in the wrapper. And I went up and like I just happened to be there right when they were dropping that off. I'm like, "Can I have your jersey?" He's like, "I haven't even worn it yet." <laughs> I still have those jerseys in my mom's house in Quebec. I went down to see my mom this summer, no and my I got my room in the basement, and they're still hanging on the wall right there. Brand new jerseys, him and Josh, number one. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you got that two wheel Kawasaki was absolutely killing it, and uh, and you were on the forefront of that. Uh, what was it like traveling uh, traveling the country, uh, re- like wrenching for the the Canadian Nationals? Uh, this is of course uh, I would say almost at the height of of what the Canadian Nationals would be, having a lot of uh, guys coming up from the states. You had like Josh Woods, you had Sean Hamlin, you had um, Mike Craig yeah. had come back and he was riding for the the Blackfoot, Blackfoot team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had Hamblin. Hamblin was staying on the road with us all week long. Okay. Josh was flying back every week. Uh, right. Ron Ashley, the team owner, 
was flying back every week to go uh, take care of his business at home. So I was staying on the road with this pickup truck, a big Ford Dooley thing, in a SIF wheel trailer. So we had everything in there. So I was driving that with another mechanic. And um, Sean was staying with us. We had uh, Ron Ashley, Ron's dog, with us, like a big Rottweiler thing. So that, we were, like, traveling week to week. Started in Nanaimo, I think. And uh, Nanaimo made our way across Grunthal and then the, the West Coast, the East Coast, obviously. And um, it was it was fun. It was a fun summer for sure. But at the end of the summer, that's when I started. I was like, dude, I want to step it up another notch. And then I got yeah. a resume together. And in the last two races, me and Hamblin, we went down to uh, Binghamton, New York, and Still City, okay. Pennsylvania. And then we did those two nationals. And then I started handing out resumes. I remember Plano Honda was one of them that I gave out. And then uh, Yamaha Troy. And then uh, Harry Keel called me right back the next week. He said, dude, if you can get your work visa going, uh, you get your stuff and come down here. We got a job for you. Uh, Boom. Really? Just like that, <laughs> Eric Keel. Wow. And that, that's a huge player. Um, yeah. And at the time, Mitch Cook is old mechanic, uh, Doug Stone. You probably remember him a little bit. Doug yeah. Stone was working for Larry Ward down here. He was a Canadian. He was one of the first Canadians to make his way down here with, like, Steve Mattis and all that. And Doug Stone was working for Larry Ward. So I asked Doug, I said, how do I get a work visa? I mean, how do I get that going? So he gave me the lady's phone number in Washington and got all that going. It took about a week and a half and bought a car because I had a little piece of crap car. So I ended up buying a little Hyundai accent, went to the dealership and made my way down here. Hey, this is George Steinke and we're going to commercial. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner, and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of them that goes... For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they are simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12 the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. The 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter-X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out 
eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your butt. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys who are building wheels for Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to dubyausa.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to BillsPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Lidinovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cook. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. There you go. And uh, so, so once once you're down there, uh, like, did you uh, did you have to buy a lot of tools? Did you have a lot of tools? Uh, I had my disposal? tools from Canada. I had a right. um, you know, the U.S. Open was actually like uh, was it the first? No, it was the second U.S. Open. I think 1990. No, when was it? 2001. So the third U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy from Toronto was coming down to race that anyway. So I, I, he grabbed all my tools and he brought it down for me. So that was cool. But I just had that little car, a sleeping bag, a pillow, a computer. Um, not much in there, man. I didn't have much. Uh, had a pair of skates, so. <laughs> 2001 U.S. Open, Marco Dubé and uh, and Blair Morgan both racing the four-stroke class, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Dubé and actually Dubé got hurt, and then I was there for. I was in California for about a couple of days, and then we turned around, went straight to the U.S. Open. I didn't have a rider at the time. I was I just just got here, so I was mm-hmm. testing with Greg Schnell. That was going to be my rider for O2. So uh, we went to U.S. Open, and I, yeah, I got to see Marco there again because he was wrestling that class. That's right. And he actually won, I think. He yeah, won he the year before. No, he had number one. That's right. So he won the year before, and then he got hurt that in 2001. He got hurt and went to the hospital. That's right. Um, it, it's great to see all those Canadian connections between uh, yourself, Mathis, and Paul Delorier. Uh, quite a few, uh, quite a few uh, mechanics uh, littered about the, uh, the, the pits in uh, – in Canadian or the American Nationals already, or yeah, there's still a couple. I mean, like Marshall Plon at Dunlop, he's yep. he's from Canada. I mean, uh, 
Was it Shane Drew? I think he's another Canadian. Shane one. Drew, yeah, he's from uh, Thunder Bay, Manitoba, or uh, yeah. uh, Ontario. Uh, everybody wants to go south, uh, including myself. But uh, that that dream uh, is yet to be realized. But I'm, I have a feeling at, at some point it will. Um, so when, once you do get a rider, who is your rider, and uh, and how did you start to kind of gain some more experience? And uh, what, what kind of bikes were you working on? So Yamaha Troy. So obviously, I got the job at Yamaha Troy. I came down right. here to California. Uh, three of the mechanics, we were kind of new to the team, so we got a, at a townhouse together, like an apartment. Um, so we ended up staying there. I uh, got an apartment. So my first rider when I showed up was Greg Schnell. Okay. So uh, okay, um, YZ125, uh, we had two 250Fs and two 125s. So on the 250F, we had Chad Reed. It was his first year in the United States. That's right. He came from Europe. So we got a Chad on the 250F and Roderick Tane on the 250F also. Okay. And then we had Tedesco and Schnell on the 125. So um, I just had to get used to how they work everything here. You have a test bike, a practice bike, and a race bike. So each mechanic gets three bikes. So, so by the time I got used to that, because in Canada we didn't, have, we had, I don't even remember having a practice bike. I mean, we well, had one bike one and bike. That's race, right? Yeah. So each guy had three bikes, and then uh, the race bike is built out of parts. So it was, they give you a bag of titanium bolts, and here it is. Make your bolts, and I'll get you a motor, and then uh, they build the motor out of parts. There's an engine guy that does all that, and then um, put it all together and make yourself a bike out of parts. That's so that wild. Cool. Like, so, yeah, uh, Greg Snell was my first year, and he did some, all the Supercross on the East Coast. He was racing East Coast, so started to travel. I never got on the plane before, so that was like the, one of the first time I was able to fly, so that was pretty cool. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like a, a huge change for you. You're working on Yamahas. You're uh, you're working with uh, one of the tallest guys to ever uh, to compete well on a on a 125 two stroke. Um, and like you said, like rebuilding rebuilding the, the race bike almost every single weekend. Of course, before the season even starts, you're bringing that you building that thing from the ground up, which is uh, a feat in and of itself. And then uh, yeah, you got the test bike and a practice bike to maintain uh, on a regular basis. Um, your hands are full. What kind of hours? Is, uh, were, you, were you pulling at that at that time? That time it wasn't too extreme. Eight in the morning, eight to nine o'clock in the morning or so, till like five or six at night. Um, when we fly, like I say, we fly on Thursday to go to Supercross, work Friday, Saturday out of the truck, fly back Sunday, go back to work on Monday. Um, so back then it was um, it wasn't too bad. I mean, we, we've pulled some some long hours sometime if we had issues, but. Uh, it was it was nothing crazy. I mean, it was like a regular job. Plus, you're just loving it, though. Like, as far yeah, as yeah, you're that's, concerned, that's like thing. this is uh, this isn't really work for you. This is uh, um, this is what you love to do, and uh, you got some great machines to work on. Of course, the 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 Yamaha 125 at that time um, considered to be one of the uh, the premier bikes as far as one, like two strokes go. Uh, it was there was there really wasn't much to do to them other than uh, like uh, port port and polish and uh, and make sure they're running right. Yep, yeah, yeah, no, that was uh, chassis stuff. We had hands over doing suspension at the time, so that was mm-hmm. that was a big help for Supercross. And no, it was uh, it was a really really good learning experience for sure. And then that was I remember like O two, so I like to say okay, so that was O two Greg Schnell. But mm-hmm. before the season started we have the um the Yamaha intro day, right? Where they introduce all the riders, street bike, motocross, everybody. Yep. And I remember Jeremy McGrath was on the Yamaha still at the time and That's right. and I remember going it was a we did that one at a go kart track. It was a go kart track and Jeremy was there. I was like, dude, that's Jeremy McGrath and then my buddy, my roommate at the time, Dave, he knew him because he worked for him in the past and he was like, Come on, I'll introduce you to Jeremy. I went out there, dude. I was like a little kid. I was like, I was pumped. I was like, this is pretty cool. How good is your English? Test track, and he's there riding. He's sitting in the back of his truck. Then we all go. I mean, they're just like regular people, like like us, right? Oh, totally. At the time, I didn't really understand that, but now since I've been dealing with these people, they're just like me and you. That's all it is. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things that I definitely picked up from uh, um, my days. I used to, uh, I used to do a lot of. uh, um, I used to work out with a lot of the local uh, professional football players here in, in Winnipeg. And yes, we do have professional football here in Canada. Uh, you realize that uh, a lot of these guys, like they're they're just people too. They're they're nice. Some of them are, some of them are nice. Some of them aren't. Some of them are nerds. Some of them aren't. Some of them have yeah. like you know what I mean. They have, they have uh, like bad habits. Some of them have good habits. Uh, it, it just 
they're all good people. Uh, for the most part, they're they're all good people. And uh, Jeremy, of course, being uh, one of the uh, the greatest champions, uh, not only on the bike but uh, on off the bike as well. Super nice. Um, he just had a birthday yesterday, so uh, a belated happy birthday to uh, to the king and um, just just a great ambassador for the sport. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So where does this uh, 2002 Greg Schnell? You go both outdoors and uh, and on the East Coast for for arena or for Supercross. Where does it take you from there? And in '03, uh, uh, they hired uh, Craig Anderson from Australia. He's a okay. Chad Reed's cousin. Yeah, yeah. So got started to do some arena, some Supercross with him. He actually got hurt, and then our engine guy at the time he got an offer to go to Factory Kawasaki with Stewart. So uh, his name is Dean Baker. He's actually at JGR now. He's the engine okay. guy at JGR. Yep. So, um, so at the time he left, he went to Factory Kawasaki. So they offered me the job as a motor guy at Yamaha Troy. Straight up, my second year was like ready, because I I knew a little bit about motor, and then uh, so Dean showed me how to port because it went out to four stroke after that. Like uh, 2003 was quite a bit of a lot of four stroke, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, he showed me how to port head. He said we'll go to Yamaha. Bob Oliver at Yamaha can show you uh, some stuff. I was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. I'm gonna be an engine guy. So. <laughs> So um, we got somebody else to replace me for Hando, and then uh, start working one on one on uh, with Yamaha, and uh, start making power. And at the time, back then in 02, the 250F that Chad was riding, that thing was monster. We didn't do nothing to it. Put a pipe in it, some raised gas, and that's how you rode it. So really? 2003, that was like, now we need to step it up. So then we started porting the heads, start degreeing the cams, and then little different carburetor mods so they don't bog right back then they were just bogging like crazy yeah 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 so, no, like, so uh... kind of fix all that and so now i made my way up like this and then started making more power the years after that when we had in 05 mike brown and danny smith brock sellers and all these guys uh we had some good runs like 05 i think we had metcalf in 05 he was on a 125 and mcfarlane yeah mcfarlane hope that was 06 07 um so, 06, I remember Angtown. One year, that was one of our best races, I think. It was Angtown. 1-2. Uh, him and McFarlane won 2-3 at Angtown. Unless he got the overall. And we went second, third. Uh, that was the first national of the year. Yeah. And uh, no, I think we, we bust us and did it. It was pretty good. Not not so great uh, the, the following weekend, though. That one was what? It was Glen Helen, right? Glen Helen, where uh, everyone couldn't stay off the ground. Yeah, I'll have to... Go back in that little roll index and find out. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all good. But, uh, that's really cool. Like you were basically on the forefront of building these engines. As to like, of course, the 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 racing is a breeding ground for what we'll then see in production. So a lot of what you were working on for the 250Fs is something that uh, would carry forward. As to why uh, uh, the four strokes ended up uh, basically making the 125s uh, obsolete. Yeah, for sure. And then that, I remember that one year we had to ride that 125 with Metcalf in 05. That's right. It was rough. I mean, we were doing Supercross, and we got it pretty good. It was the first year of the new 125. The Yamaha came out with that new aluminum frame in 05. That's right. And uh, we had to make Metcalf, and actually, uh, we we did it. We did Supercross, and come the outdoor, it was kind of it was rougher in the outdoors because obviously everybody was on 250Fs. And uh, by Unadilla, though, we had meetings with Yamaha that we cannot do this anymore. He's getting killed. And then uh, at Unadilla, we stripped the bike down and built another bike out of parts at the hotel in the parking lot. And all the brakes, everything, sw- the swing arm, everything fits over to a 125 frame, right? Uh, yeah. To a 250F frame. So we put a spare motor in a 250F frame, swing arm, brakes, everything switched over. And um, we had Hanzo do some suspension and put him on a 250F since then. So then he actually did pretty good. Yeah, how how was uh, your transition? I know you mentioned that uh, they started, kind of took you by the hand and started teaching you how to uh, port the heads and stuff like that. Um, this is almost like the dark art of, of four strokes. Uh, how quickly did you did you kind of take to that? Were you uh, uh, was there a learning curve, or were you kind of a duck in water when it comes to? Oh uh, uh, yeah, no, I screwed strokes? up some stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and back then, I mean, because I mean, all four strokes, it's pretty simple. It's, it's just like cars, right? I mean, valve seats right. and valves, and I mean, it's. It just had made my way. I had to read books and read about valve seats and short side radius and all that stuff just to learn how everything works. And it's, and and once you understand the principle of it, it's not that hard. I mean, it's pretty simple. And then, um, but yeah, porting heads and making them look good and realizing that okay, sometimes you'll spend too much time on the head and make it worse than what it is stock. So you, you just have you can you, you just learn by trial and error, obviously, and um, reading books and. It's 
it's it's just a learning curve, and I did I did it, and it was pretty cool. No doubt. So, uh, like, uh, as far as a 250F, uh, how much horsepower have you ever been able to squeeze out of one of those uh, little engines? Well, back then, like a Yamaha Troy, those 250F, they were pulling 37, 38. Like our race bikes were like 37, 38. I remember when we hit 40, it was like a freaking big party. And it was just all top end, no bottom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, I mean, these days now, you can pull 47, 48 out of these things. Yeah, you got good fuel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they come stock at about 38, 39. And then, um, then you wake them up a little bit. You're up to 43, 44. And then you put some cams and pistons and rebalance the cranks and all that. Then you get to like close to 47. I did a Yamaha last week with a second injector kit, and that was up to like 48. Wow. So, uh, so um, where does uh, like obviously you're at you're you're at Yamaha Troy for uh, quite a number of years. Uh, how does that relationship ended up uh, kind of getting severed at some point where you you end and, and decide to kind of go out on your own or, or how, no what was that the uh, like? at the time we had uh, the owner uh, he, he said he was the owner Phil Alberton uh, he was running the show a little bit there uh, at Yamaha Troy he started Yamaha Troy back in the day. Yep. Yeah, Honda of Troy, Suzuki of Troy, all that stuff. He started all that. Yep. And uh, so he was involved in California, and then he kind of got involved in drugs and alcohol. And obviously he's dead now. He uh, overdosed mm-hmm. a few years back. But um, he was uh, running the thing to the ground, like really bad. That was in 06. Um, that's the year I think we had McFarlane. Was it McFarlane in 06? I forgot what it is. But anyway, so he was running it down to the ground pretty bad. And then uh, at the last national, which the last national was Glen Ellen. I remember that in 06. It was, the last national was Glen Ellen. And um, uh, I was sitting on the track before the motor started, and Keith McCarty came to me. Uh, he's the boss at Factory Yamaha. And he said, uh, would you like to run our 250F program next year? I said, we're going to have a 250F next year. Because usually they're just 450, right? So I yeah. said, we're going to have Josh hit on the 250F next year. So if you want to get involved with us, I mean, you can, you, you're more than welcome. So I was like, yeah, let me think about it and I'll get you back I'll get back at you and after that I was like yeah I might as well do it let's do it I mean you can't you don't get a chance like that every freaking every month right no so kidding. I was like a chance to go work at factory Yamaha so I was like let's do it and at the time I lived in Palmdale which is about 90 miles from factory Yamaha okay. so I had a house over there so uh, I did it do for three and a half two and a half years three and a half years the morning and night, back and forth, 90 miles, 90 miles, through LA traffic. It sucked. Ooh. It was bad. Okay. So I fell asleep a couple of times. Never had any accidents or nothing, but dude, it was it was bad. Who are the, some of the guys that you're you're working with? I think uh, like uh, Gothic J is still there, or would have been there at the time. Gothic J, no, he was uh, he was at Honda at the time. So okay, um, yeah. no, we just had Ray Johnson. He's actually from uh, uh, Manitoba or Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, yep. I think. Yep. Uh, Ray was there, and then. Um, uh, that was about everybody else was like before that. So okay. Mattis was before that and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, Mattis but, uh, was, uh, it was uh, working for it was a, connection. By, or, I started uh, Josh Hill the first year, obviously. So on a 250, and then uh, there we had Brock Kepler, and then we switched our uh, switched the wheels to the 450 mainly after that. So we had Brock on the 450, Josh on the 450, and. Um, at the time, we had Chad Reed, and then James Stewart was out with uh, the San Manuel team. We had to take care of that, too. Um, so now we had our hands full with the Yamaha. But then, obviously, in 09, that's when all the economy kind of took a crap. Yeah. And then uh, I remember it was 09. They laid off, I think it was 230 people in Yamaha they laid off. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the whole race team got laid off. Suspension guys, motor guys, everybody. everybody. Wow. Because all they had, they had satellite teams. They had San Manuel. They had Star Racing. They had J Law racing. They they just put their money there instead of spending it all in house. For sure, and, uh, and just getting back that to way. that uh, working with uh, Josh Hill. Uh, from what I remember, uh, that 250F that uh, from I believe it was 2008 2009, uh, some some serious issues with the uh, the carburation on that bike. Yeah, it wasn't um, it wasn't that much of an issue. Our problem is that. Uh, Josh was 204 pounds with gear on. So oh, at the time, yeah. he, he was a, kind of a big boy. And uh, for us on a 250, it's not that easy, right? I mean, especially those totally, 250 yeah. F, you, you go on the line against Dungey, and he was pretty small. Yeah. Um, I mean, and at the time, Josh was a little bit bigger guy. And <laughs> if you look at pictures back in 2009 from Josh, you were like, holy crap, right? 
Yeah, and, he might uh, not train as much as Dungey did at the time. The team, the team manager back then, he had a scale. I mean, the riders had to step on the scale, their boots, helmet, and goggles every time they go out. Like on Sunday morning before the national, they'll get they'll ride the weight down, and if the weight's staying at the same, that means you're not trying. So then we were not going to try. So so we kind of realized after a while his weight wouldn't go down, so we kind of switched everybody to 450, and um, and then we went from there. Right. So fair enough. And of course, uh, later that year, uh, would you happen to have been his uh, mechanic when he took home his first and only uh, 450 Supercross win in Minneapolis? No, I was the engine guy. I did the motors. Ah, uh, okay, fair so, enough. And back then, that was another big issue at Yamaha. Is like the, uh, everybody went to uh, being an employee, and it was hourly rate. So you uh, had to work yes. uh, so many hours per week. So they'll clip a lot of uh, time. Like, we can't go to all the races anymore. Um, so it was kind of a big nightmare, right? So, uh, so that race, I was, and I didn't go to the race of that one. I just stayed home. Well, I was in the stands, and I could not believe that the 40 machine was up front. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I'm so sorry to hear you weren't able to see uh, your motor uh, do some serious work and, uh, and and leap out in front of everybody. Um, but uh, yeah, you said you mentioned like 2009, the bust hits. Uh, everyone, kind of almost every man for himself, and uh, and from the ashes rises up. Uh, C4MX. Uh, first of all, why C4? Uh, and um, how 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 did that uh, the wheels start getting in motion for that? So it happened straight up in '09, right there uh, around Daytona area. Uh, Keaton McCarty came back from Daytona uh, on that Tuesday, I think, and then actually no, that Monday, right after Daytona on Monday, and then he took me in the office said, "We have to lay you off." And I said, "On Friday, we laid off like freaking 15 other guys," and I was like, "Really?" So then that was kind of that was kind of rough. But then so I still drove home, um, and then. Uh, kind of start thinking a little bit. I mean, I can do this on myself now. I mean, I, I got all the knowledge. There's so many amateur kids out there that needs the help um, of what to put in their bikes, and susp- especially suspension-wise, chassis setup, uh, motor setup. So I was like, I'm going to start to help these amateur kids and see if I can do anything. So uh got home, talked to the wife, and then we ended up uh, came up with a business name. My wife came up with the name C4MX. Uh, I mean, it's not easy to find a business name. So, um, the C's for my last name, obviously, Cowett. Uh, yeah. Four, there's four of us, me, my wife, and the two kids, and the motocross. So, C4MX, there we go. That was it. C4MX. <laughs> so like, yeah, so it's kind of simple, but it kind of, I just wanted like three or four letters, like boom, 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 boom. So, I didn't Absolutely. want anything like performance or anything like engine mod. I just wanted like three or four good letters. So, Cowett, four, and motocross. There you go. C4MX. Cowett's. The Cowits are for motocross, and, and that's pretty cool. It also sounds like you got some pretty explosive-sounding engines uh, that are going to be uh, going to be pretty fast out of the hole. And um, that's all I hear from from anyone who's ever uh, told me about uh, any of the work that you've done, uh, whether it be Sean Collier telling me about what you've done with his his 500, uh, Brett Metcalf uh, raving about his 450s uh, up here in Canada. You name it, everyone is uh, is gushing about the the C4 MX uh, motor package as well as uh, some of the suspension you were able to do. Um, once you'd kind of like uh, developed your own, uh, all your own tools and all your own uh, techniques and how to work on stuff, did you, did you just kind of start to flourish a little bit as far as being able to uh, do what you wanted with the motors to uh, to build it within uh, your own image? Yes. Uh, obviously, I mean, when I was at Yamaha, they teach you, I mean, you have to learn and try to get more power out of them. So you want to spend days on the dyno, try to find out what works, what doesn't work. Uh, so I'm, I'm still in that mode, right? So I'm at home and I kind of want to make stuff, right? I want to make freaking air boxes that breeds better. I want to make more power, more torque and all that stuff. So I'm kind of still involved um, a lot that next year after that. So I was kind of, I wanted to make more power. So the new bikes were coming in. The fuel injected was just about to start coming out like in 2009, 2010. So that was something new again. The fuel injected bikes were coming out. And um, so now, I, I mean, that first year I got hooked up with uh, that Moto Concept team at the time on Yamaha's. They had Jeff Alessi and Vince Freeze and all these guys, uh, Ryan Pipes, in and out. So I started helping those guys out. Dan Reardon, he was on the, the 450 fuel injected the first year, 2010. Right. Uh, helping those guys out a little bit on the side, and then uh, so that was. Uh, I, don't know, I just wanted to keep learning, and uh, I'm still the same way. I mean, I have a dyno in house now, so uh, when the new bike comes out, um, I just put them on there with pump gas, just bone stock, brand new, and then get a baseline out of it, 
and then uh, I'll start working for about a week or so. I'll just try to get more power out of them, see what works, cut the head down, more compression, less compression, um, try to find find more power out of them. Find more power out of the bikes, and as well as uh, now with the days of uh, of fuel injection, uh, placing the power where you want it, when you want it there. Uh, that's kind of become the science of, of motor mods. Um, and I've talked yeah, to... Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of these people, a lot of dads, obviously, are amateur kids. They all want that big number, right? They want yeah. 49 horsepower, right? Well, it doesn't freaking matter. I mean, you can go out there with a 44 horsepower machine, but have more torque in the front. This is that that bike's gonna kill your 48 horsepower motor because you can actually come out of the turns without clutching it. You can have you can come out of the turns in third gear, and it's gonna pull the motor. Will pull it. That's the thing. You have to move the power down and make it nice and torquey. It's a four stroke. It needs torque. For sure. That's so all well, it is. Well, they don't well, what's rev. Your favorite you can't bike rev them. And until you get that in the people's head, that that big number on top doesn't matter. Uh, it's it, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to convince people sometimes. I said, dude, well, my bike only has 45. Well, well I'll go somewhere else. They have 48. Oh, yeah, well, whatever. Go. It, it just, it's hard to explain all that to people, right? Absolutely. But it's something, it's, that's it's one thing I learned at Yamaha, too. for sure. Jim Perry, the, our team manager at Yamaha, he was like, I don't care about that top number. I just want to see the numbers on the front. That's 6,000 RPM, 7,000 RPM. I want to see those numbers. Yeah. If you have a half a horsepower down at six thousand, well, guess what? You got to start over. Wow. Okay. So you need that power that's, down that's low. A... You need power coming out of the gate, and then we had the data logging. We had like some uh, data loggers on the bike to see where you are in the RPMs on the track. I remember doing some stuff with Hepler on the Supercross. You come around the bowl turn, come around the bowl turn. He hits the throttle. You think okay, he's probably at seven or eight thousand RPM, right? No, he comes around the corner. You have four. And by the time you go up, hit the triple, you're at nine. So guess what? It doesn't matter if you have power at thirteen thousand; you never get there. Yeah, totally right. So you, you never have get that there. Uh, uh, that jump out of the corners, and uh, it's a, kind of a, a interesting way of, of, of thinking about it. Like we always think, especially uh, those of us in the old school, like kind of uh, almost like a two-stroke peak horsepower mindset of you want all that power up top it's uh it's it's different way of locating that power yeah. and uh it's like totally i think they, they actually david villeman had a went to a uh, a practice track or when, when he was still racing they did at data acquisition as to uh they asked him how often he felt like he was like like he had the throttle all the way to the stop and he said oh i'm probably all the way to the stop like 50 percent of the time it turns out that on, yeah. like there was on a supercross track, he was uh, he was at the the throttle of it at its stop uh, for two seconds in the whoops. So yeah, I was gonna say about fifteen percent of the time, probably. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You, you're not building an engine for that. You're building an engine for everywhere yeah. else, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's hard to make people to understand that, but uh, I mean that's that's how I learned it at Yamaha. They teach me that way, and I'm I'm still building motors that way, making torquey. For sure. So, um, what what's some of your favorite bikes to work on? Uh, which bikes make it easy? Which bikes make it make it more difficult to uh, to squeeze horsepower out of or to to, to locate that power properly? Um, and uh, and that being said, like um, if if say I was to bring you uh, my uh, well, I have an older bike, but if I was to bring you my two thousand and eight two fifty F Kawasaki, uh, what would be uh, your uh, prognosis as to uh, make that bike go as fast as it can? And those 2008, the motor hasn't really changed much. It's just they obviously they went from carburetor to fuel injected, so that was the biggest thing. But I would try to say, I would tell you to sell it and probably <laughs> buy yourself one that's a little newer. <laughs> um, so that would okay, be my well, first. Okay, uh, well, I've, I've traded in for a 2015 then. Yeah, so obviously if you bring me a 15 Cowie, uh, I would uh, shoot you the same direction that I'm using with my guys in Canada right now, which is bottom and power. Um, torque, uh, snappy, so that as soon as you get on the gas, it goes up in the rev real quick, um, so you can get to that power band. Um, and uh, but I, every all my customers, I give them the same list that I run for my team in Canada, like the Monster Kawasaki team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I offer that for everybody. There's no secrets. I mean, it's just I tell them here's the list, here's how much it is. If you don't want to, just we can step it down a notch. I have a package number two instead of the three. And I, I kind of make it so it's uh, it fits everybody's budget, because I mean some people want to spend nine hundred bucks, some people want to spend five or six grand, right? Absolutely. And, and I can make a five grand package. I mean you can get in the transmission and polish all the gears and balance the crankshaft and polish the crankshaft. I mean 
there's some stuff that does help, but there's some stuff also that's uh, it's just kind of like a luxury, right? Absolutely. Now, uh, uh, who are some of the most finicky riders that you've worked with over the years? And uh, uh, don't don't be shy about throwing anybody under the bus who uh, may may have made your job a little bit harder than it should have been. Uh, I would say Brett Metcalf was one of them for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's been around for a while, and that's the thing with these riders that's been around for a while, so they actually have a lot of experience. Yeah. So and. So, but I learned a lot from it too. Like Brett and uh, Andrew McFarlane at the time. On a, I mean, Brett, he was on a, on a 125 two-stroke, and that was. I mean, he was trying to get every freaking ponies out of that thing that we can, right? So that was a rough. That was a rough year for us on the 125. Try to keep up with all the 250Fs. Um, and then after that, but he was all about bottom. He already knew. Like at the time, I didn't know about all that bottom end stuff. I was all looking about that top end number, right? I wanted that 40 horsepower, right? Well, at the time, he was all about torque. He said, "Just I don't know, I want bottom end. I want that bottom end power. I want some torque cams, and I want everything down low. I was like, really? He said, that thing's got two horsepower less on top. He said, I don't care. I like that one better. You know, he's, because he's been around so much, and he already knew about that stuff. Fair enough. So, no, so that uh, was another good learning curve for me, for sure. I mean, I learned quite a bit from him. Well, it's a guy who I'm sure you were sad to hear is not going to be uh, on the uh, the Kawasaki team for next year. Uh, Brett moving over to uh, uh, the Yamaha team and uh, and, and will not be uh, to running your engines in, uh, this this coming summer. Yeah, um, I mean, last year was kind of a, a rough one for us too. I mean, he wasn't even running my engines last year because okay. uh, he's he's got hooked up with uh, um, factory Kawasaki in the states. Okay. Um, last year because of the Vidalpoto thing the year before and all that. So he was still getting help from Cowie, so they were getting the motors from Cowie, and dude, that the whole the whole year last year was a big nightmare. Uh, I mean, the last round that's when I finally I was over it. I put my motor back in from Overton, which is the second to last round. Second moto, I put my motor in, and it stayed in for the Walton National, and we had good race, we had good luck, everything stayed together. So from that, then I learned that next year, guess what? It's going to be our stuff in there. I mean, we have spent time trying to develop that motor and um, make sure we finish motos with our stuff. And I mean, Teddy never had any issues, except he had a throttle cable break, but I mean, that's, that happens. It shouldn't happen, but it, it did happen. Um, so I, it was, I think it was in Manitoba there, that race, no, Regina. Regina, yeah. yeah. Uh, were, were you yeah. in Regina the, the year previous when... Uh, the mud race, yeah. Was yeah. Ooh, might have been, I might have been standing right next to you in the uh, in the... The um, the mechanics area, as I uh, encouraged my rider on at uh, uh, what like uh, Adam Pfeiffer was racing the uh, the 450 class that day. As we stood in the mud uh, watching uh, um, Meathead and the rest of those guys uh, make their way around uh, the, the 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 Regina track. First time I'd ever been to the Regina track, and it was a mud hole. Yeah, it was pretty. We had I had Josh that year. I was working for Josh and. Okay. Uh, Josh did, did he and race he, that he hurt his back during the okay. week, so he couldn't even ride. So he didn't even ride. So I was just there helping Teddy Mayer, and uh, mm-hmm. so it, it was rough. It was a rough one for sure. Right on, right on. So uh, yeah. you you've worked with a lot of different uh, to racers over the years, a lot of different uh, athletes. Um, any uh, like moto dad uh, times where like like you're working with, especially you work with a lot of amateur guys, uh, maybe maybe in the past, who uh, like dads who are a little bit overbearing, a little bit controlling as far as uh, how they they work with their kids. Yeah, there's there's some exceptions out there. Um, we've had to deal with a couple in Canada also. I mean, uh, Paul Taylor's dad. I mean, he's. I mean, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I mean, his, <laughs> his name is out there. I mean, a lot of people know him, mm-hmm. and it's it's just. I mean, they want the best for their kids, right? But right. sometimes when you get to that pro level, you just need to back off and just let the people handle it, right? And back then, like 20 years ago, there was people like Charlie Bogard and all these guys, right? Their career got ruined because of their parents, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so it just, you don't want to get, it just sucks. I mean, I mean, like I said, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there is some people out there that, yeah, their career is not going to go anywhere. and. It's just because you got some people around you that's not helping you. So, so given the fact that you've worked with uh, the leading edge guys, uh, there's a high chance ability that you have a good uh, Jonathan 
hoodie story. Uh, he's uh, the mechanic for uh, Politelli uh, over a year ago. Uh, great guy. He's also done a ton of work along with uh, with Josh Hill over the years. So, uh, like, do you, do you have a, a hoodie story? Um, in fact, uh, when I first met him, he uh, clued me in on uh, how he got that nickname. But unfortunately, it's not PG. Yeah, well, the good story I have to tell you, it's it, it didn't happen in Canada. It's just it's a story that he came up and told us. Yeah. But I, I won't be able to say it here, though. I mean, it's it's too uh, it's too uh, it's pretty funny. But it's like, oh crap! Did you do this? And he, yeah, he did it. So, but <laughs> he, he doesn't care. He just laughs about it now because he was a kid, right? Same thing. Of course. Of course. But and uh, now he told us a bunch of stories. But no, nothing happened in Canada. He was having a mechanic with us. I mean, we freaking go to work Friday night, Saturday night, and then. Uh, do our job and go back home on Monday morning, right? So, um, but no, nothing special happened. Uh, just he just told us a bunch of stories of when he traveled the uh, the country with uh, to do the GPs over there with Ryan Hughes and all these guys, yeah. right? So, uh, no, he told us some good ones, that's for sure. Absolutely. So, uh, where does C4MX stand today? I know we kind of touched on it on the beginning of the of the podcast, but uh, as far as um, like uh, what services do you offer, and uh, and what what are people looking at when they get into uh, working with C4 and uh, and and working alongside you? And also, uh, I wanted to uh, recognize the fact that you've been recently working with uh, the Bills Pipes guys a little bit, uh, doing some some work on uh, Sean Collier's bikes and stuff like that. Yeah, well, um, long story, on the, on the Collier's bike, uh, that was just a quick thing last year. Actually, I got a lot of freaking, uh, a lot of good press from that. That worked out really, really good. Um, but I would say it was FMF at the time. This year, I think he switched uh, his wheels over to Bill's Pipe. So I didn't really have to, to deal with Bill's Pipe at all. I don't even deal with him at all. Um, but then he just took his bike, and he's he's doing some Bill's Pipe stuff right now. Uh but I just do um, uh, mainly like it's it's a one-on-one thing. Like if somebody shows up, okay, I want a bike build. They can always trust me to be a one-on-one. Like they'll call me, they'll text me. Uh, I need a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. Okay, do this, change your ignition curve, go up on your one teeth on your gearing. Uh, I, I, it's always a one-on-one thing. I got everybody's phone number in my phone. I text everybody, how's everything? So uh, suspension, same thing. Um, we have Graham, our suspension guy for the team in Canada. He's, he's in the same boat as me. He got laid off in 09, a factory Honda, and he's right here in Long Beach. And he's a freaking brainiac about suspension. He, he's, he's the guy. And, and the guy, he works out of his garage, and he does really, really good stuff. So I use him as my suspension guy. I take it all apart here, send him the valving. He changes all the valving. I put it all back together. I put my name on it. And it's actually all Graham stuff in there, so and it's it's working really really good. I've, to this point, I've built suspension with him for about four years, and uh, I think I had like one guy coming back who didn't like it, and then uh, so one out of like over a hundred. So I think it speaks for itself. Speaks for itself, yeah. It's all it's uh, the uh, it's, it's a labor of love for you, and it's glad to see that uh, you still enjoy it for all all these years. Um, as far as, um, like I said at the top of the show, how do they contact you? And uh, as far as uh, your options of motor builds, I know uh, you've got a lot of different services that are available. Uh, just a basic, basic package of uh, changing the air filter, throttle body mod, uh, clutch springs and stuff like that. But uh, where does it go from there? Yeah, I mean, from there, same thing. Yeah, I'll ask them what their budget is. Uh, so you tell me what your budget is. If it's 1000 bucks, then I'll make something for 1000 bucks. And then uh, try to consider shipping in there. If it's from Canada, from the U.S., obviously shipping gets involved. If it's a used motor, then if it's got 20 hours on it already, and then guess what? We have to rebuild the bottom end because once you put more power on top, it's going to be hard on that crank. So let's start fresh. We'll put a new rod, new bearing, new pin, start with a fresh crank and start over. So then obviously that bumps up the price a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I try to stay like um, uh, pretty, like uh, a list that's pretty close to what it's going to be and then uh, give them an estimate and then, uh, usually uh, it goes down from there, so it's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty easy going. I mean, they just call me, email, email me, call me, whatever, and then I'll, I'll get it going. Beautiful, man. Well, uh, I really appreciate you giving us some time to uh, kind of pick your brain about uh, all things 
that uh, that have brought you to the uh, the forefront of C4MX, and uh, yeah, I can't say can't kick you enough for uh, for lending us uh, some stories and uh, going through all those 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 great moments in, in a career that uh, has culminated with uh, a, a very successful business down in uh, Valencia, California, a place that I've visited and hopefully one day might call home. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, it's very, it's, uh, it's, mon- there's a lot of motocross industries here. I mean, between N-Style, Factory FX, N-Style, uh, Matrix, uh, Rental, Mechanics Square, all these guys, they're all out here in Valencia. Um, Gurney Boots, Hanser, Axo, um, Liat. I mean, uh, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of people think in Corona, there's a lot of stuff, but then here in Valencia, there's, it's, it's a big hub also. There you go. It's all part of the mecca of motocross that is Southern California. Uh, Frenchie, aka Luke. Uh, it's 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 so nice to have you on the show. Really appreciate you giving me some time. But uh, for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. All right, awesome. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at bigmxradio.com for more content.